This is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. So, uh, it is an afternoon and a bit of a breeze, which is, which is a hassle for uh, recording, because it, it blows across the microphone. I try to sort of move my hand up to sort of shelter, and during the winter I was actually putting the phone in an old glove and I was thinking, oh, you know, it's maybe the edges will protect the microphone. To what degree, I'm not sure. So now I'm seeing a crow, a pigeon, and a seagull vying for some fast food refuse. <laughs> they, were, they were not working together. And now, now I'm passing a monkey tail tree or a monkey puzzle tree, which are these, what are they? The branches do end sort of like monkey tail, like it looks like a monkey tail. I actually looked it up once. Um, the branches are barbed. There's something almost desert that suggests a dry environment. Uh, and on the branches, it's not leaves, but more kind of a series of thorns. Sharp, pointy plates that make up the branches. Topic. The topic is context. And I'm bringing this up thinking about doing editing. When I was working on Greyhawk of Terrapin, there were constraints. Uh, good constraints, bad constraints. Each genre is like that. You're writing for adults, your voice shifts and changes. And so in this context, it was about... Uh, it was about using language, vocabulary. It was about using vocabulary. It was about um, thinking about a middle grade vocabulary. Uh, my main character is, was 13. And so, especially later, in later drafts, I pulled back. As they went through, I, I read, thinking about the reader, and going, okay, yes, I'm having sort of fun with, with vocabulary, but the reader uh, themselves, they're not going to be able to pick up, uh, unless I use, unless I use the the space, uh, unless I use references around it, the characters are not, or sorry, the readers, those little characters, but the readers are not going to pick up. Maybe they'll sort of get a sense of it, go, well, I, I guess it's a noun. So um, the one that comes to mind that's really fresh is magpies. And... Uh, I was thinking, I was like, oh, maybe, you know, does a 13-year-old reader, let's say a North American reader, know what a magpie is? Maybe, maybe not. An adult, for sure, you know, most likely, or at least will be able to sort of go, okay, um, that word, I, I know that we're talking about some kind of, uh, if it's magpies, right, that... It's something that makes sound, you know, f you know, from the context. I think it's some kind of bird that lives in the city. I 
I'm just remembering that particular use of that bird. There are no magpies in Vancouver, but we start off in the opening, it starts off in Vancouver. <clears throat> However, I had been in um, Seoul, not now, it's 10 years ago, but uh, I had, yeah, I was just back from Seoul, and there were magpies there, so I was being influenced by my experience, and I'm recalling the, the sound of the magpie, which is not, it's not a lovely sound. The bird itself is more lovely than it sounds. There are persimmons, there are persimmons that are grow on, on the streets that grow, it's a tree that's common in Korea and in Seoul. South Korea, and the uh, the magpies, uh, black and white, stark, and I think maybe also that I wanted that contrast, just say in my own mind, you know, this these extremes. But uh, magpies, and to sorry, for me, it's kind of like a combination of a crow and and a seagull in my mind. The white of the seagull, the black of the crow, and yet not not the gray of a pigeon. Oh, those pigeons, rats with wings. Right. <laughs> Just before doing this episode, I was waiting at a bus stop and yeah so I was waiting at the bus stop and the bus wasn't coming and I started to notice the amount of people it was growing and growing and I I I, I felt like said oh you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start walking I'm just gonna walk away from this and um, I'm not in a hurry But it was an interesting kind of nothing moment, and yeah. <laughs> so that's that's setting up the scene, the context that this episode is in. So why do this? Uh, oh, okay. So for. The use of magpie, uh, magpies, because we don't have them here, at least in uh, Vancouver, that, that sort of colors, shapes my whole thinking of, of the word, not the bird itself, but say going, oh, are there any magpies? How common are magpies, magpies in North America? And then from there, what I did was I added magpie birds. So if you ever take a look at the first chapter, or if you see the video where I'm reading the first chapter, known in publishing as The Blad, because you can send out blads for people to you know read, check it out, read the first chapter. So I did a video blad with this sock puppet of a unicorn. And I was reminded of that choice to put birds, magpie birds. And as I read over it, it seemed unusual because I know what a magpie is, but also I remember that choice uh, that it was, I wanted that description in there, but I also felt because of the age group that it would be good to have a descriptor, right? Something that informed it. So in context, I, I like the fact that the magpie birds, the magpies are not there, that the people are described like magpies. 
So already there's a kind of an interesting quality, just for myself, not having looked at it for months and months, all of a sudden seeing this use of language, thinking about the reader. Uh, I want that word in there. I think part, the other reason is that in that same chapter, I describe the main character as having two sides. She is. She feels like she's two people. She is a uh, br- as bright as a tinker's bell, and that she's also uh, that there's also a dark rider quality. So two different types of fiction that I'm nodding to. Uh, Peter Pan on one side, and then uh, Lord of the Rings on the other side. <laughs> I, I'm just feeling like I've, like I'm, I'm, I really am wandering at this point. I'm going. Wait a second. Am I going the right way? That's an interesting feeling, interesting scenario. <coughs> Coming up to a, a yard, it's actually on the boulevard, and there's these um, hints of, of kids at, at play, like a ladder going up a tree, and uh, something that looks almost like a, I think it's a chair, but it, it looks like a net for capturing something. And just thinking to the age, 13 years old, and sort of being of the mind that I was going to be uh, capturing people or something like that. It's an awkward, awkward moment there. Is she talking to me? No. Uh, yeah, so where the heck am I? All right, okay, I think I'm... It'd be funny if I dragged this stuff that I'm carting around, if, if I dragged it all the way back. <laughs> well, so you're supposed to get rid of that stuff. Okay, so... Context... I, th- I think I think the example that I've given that I think it's a good example say that it's serving two uh, interests it's serving the interest of the, the writer the author storyteller and then it's serving the interest of the reader consumer cultural uh, aficionado because we want to have information bits and pieces like say even if you're doing a a, even historical something historical and you want to have words you want to have bits of language uh, you want to have uh, something that gives us the feeling for the the place and the time. Uh, That's your personal interest as the author. But then as the... Considering the reader and going, okay, they're not going to know what these things are. At times, I remember I used words where it wasn't necessary to know what they were. It was more phonetic, the sound of the word. One description was blunderbuss, but I think that it was even in dialogue. So it was somebody saying something. It was describing someone's hair as a blunderbuss. And, you know, people people do that. We We say, we use descriptions, we say things that sometimes it's just... Onomatopoeia. <laughs> I should have taken the bus. <laughs> I should have waited. All right, so 
the the other way of doing it is to strip out all of the extraneous. I don't have to have the word magpie. I don't have to have that description in there. It's aesthetic. It's it, it creates a visual of uh, sort of like say it's like this. Uh, is that an analogy? I think that's analogy when something is like something else. And and, and too, I could I could have used the word gabbled. I think that the entire phrase that I used was uh, people gabbled like magpie birds. That word it is right there it relies on the other words the context that's being created if i could strip it out if i stripped out everything say and is and i'm just considering the reader i'm not considering the the visuals the analogy that it would be say the people sounded like birds it's clear it's clear the analogy is still there it lacks specificity there we go and just shifting which hand is pulling the cart I was thinking that it would be much, uh, much quicker <laughs> that that I would get to uh, the intersection I was aiming for. I was thinking, oh, it's just a fifteen-minute walk. <clears throat> so. Uh, context has allowed me to create a auditory. In, in this case, it's it's auditory. It's visual. It's birds. It's a kind of bird called magpie. And. To build, to build something more. I, I was just watching this a bit of video by that had uh, Jorge Luis Borges. May I never forget his name. He was talking about simplicity, and that as he aged, uh, he went more and more towards clarity, simplicity, uh, clearly communicating with the reader. And on one hand I like that, but there's this part of me that is uh, collage, that I enjoy collage. In the past I've cut up magazines, I've looked at the words, you know, say I'll cut out a word and then combine it with another advertisement's word and that will you know, get me to a new thought, a new way of thinking. The description that I gave earlier for the main character that she feels like she's two people, that... So there's that description that... There is a, a light and dark quality to that description. You know, she's a Tinkerbell, she's also a dark writer. And that, you know, that, that black and white is in the magpie. But again, you know, if you don't know what a magpie is, you're not going to pick that up. 
uh, there's difficulties there. I, I could further attach and say, a black and white magpie bird. Uh, to who, to what degree does the description serve? Ultimately, in the end, it has to do with the reader. Uh, and yet, that, that tether still remains. You know, I pick it up, I look at it. There is a journalistic... It's uh, like a journal entry. I think, too, that I'm leaving kind of messages in bottles. What if... Uh, not one of my descendants but, say, uh, someone, you know, on the family tree decides, you know, hey, I want to check out, I want to check out this uh, distant cousin's work. And let's say, you know, it has survived the next hundred years. Hurrah! The book made its way to Mars. And uh, let's say, I get to pick the name, so it's Ulysse great French name, Ulysses from Odysseus, but so Ulysse Whelan and Ulysse Whelan is on Mars and picks up my book and is looking through it so there's something personal going on in that sense, in the sense of say family someone uh, there's this conveyance of ethnicity which I'm more and more shoving to the side in, in, in favor of uh, humanity. Just, you know, in, in thought and in thinking about uh, priority. What, what is it that we need, right? What should I prescribe for the human race? In, in uh, talking, to, talking to the world, Spending some time with my species uh, before before the potential mass extinction. <laughs> wow, context has really uh, the the context has, has has widened quite a bit as I as I speak as as you listen. Uh, another reason for doing this, having this constraint beyond thinking about the vocabulary of the person, it's, it also has to do with the vocabulary down the road. Uh, Ulysses, you know, my, my distant cousin in the future, it's giving uh, that person a foothold and assisting, right, and saying, you know, I'm talking about birds, right? Uh, the possibility is that birds no longer exist if, if mass extinction goes forward and if we don't, you know, get rid of the CO2. And uh, in a thousand I'm thinking, you know, a thousand years the change of language and how many, say, references have gone to the wayside. There are remnants. Uh, every, everybody is not, you know, knowing, speaking, reading Latin now. Uh, and two, we have this, this language... Uh, this mishmash language of English oh this is amazing so I've just uh, just gotten turned around and I was walking, walking on the wrong street, I think.
So, so let's say that. Just for historical purposes, now I'm really reaching, but just for historical purposes, that it is important to be clear and to communicate with clarity. Because in a thousand years, the language can really shift drastically. I like to think as well that that there is going to be a kind of DNA reference that we will have uh, captured and encoded. A huge amount of uh, information. Uh, yeah, genome. That say, you know, that a magpie... And two, it say if we can't recreate a magpie, that at least that there's a library and that there's a potential that at some point that that can be, you know, created, or that they can, I don't know, somehow sort of pull from it and go, oh, it's a black and white bird. Uh, this has to do as well with the literary, so. Uh, you know, to what end does having a black and white bird uh, again, getting to Jorge Luis Borges that his his interest was not in the the black and white bird, his interest was in the people uh, Maybe it's sort of, say, you know, the wisdom of age and that he gets to the point where he realizes that that's what story is all about. It's about the internal journey rather than all the external uh, details and the dressing up of a scene. So, this is a bit of a busy intersection. So, context. And right now I'm gonna, I'm gonna break down how context can really help. At the moment, I'm at this busy intersection, and there's an element of stress to it, because just the sheer amount of automobiles, uh, the busyness of it, it's, it's not a, a locale that I'm often at, so there's a bit of the, a bit of the unknown. I'm familiar with it, but... Uh, I'm just leading up to talking about the information that you provide and how that gives meaning to the scene. I'm doing a lot of telling right now, but it is possible to show all of these things, such as uh, just describing the cars, describing the noise, describing the the tension of the place. And that will give us context. Uh, then also say how the characters are feeling and re reacting. I'm having a bit of frustration because the background noise is... It's noise. It's, it's, it's invading and interrupting <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a good though because this I did a podcast episode and I walked and walked and walked 
and that's good. Ex- exercise wise. But the but the other side of it is yeah, just feeling a bit a bit frustrated. But here's here's a street coming up that I can turn and get some calm contemplative happening. As we go into a scene, we are carrying context with us, say, and I'm thinking of the reader, that we read, we carry the context, I'm just attempting to parse it and go, okay, something like Sherlock Holmes, and we learn about a we learn about a murder, uh, and then later on we, we enter a scene that say, if we don't have that murder in mind, then it, it, there's almost like a blankness to the scene that we don't get. The scene loses meaning. It's kind of like a blank canvas. And that sort of, you know, we carry the information, what has happened before, who our main character is. Uh, those are um, contextual, they add con- context. And uh, shape the experience. So what has, you know, what has gone on before, we can have foreshadowing that shapes what we see, hear, experience. It's like, we know that things are not going to work out. Uh, At least, you know, say that that's what the narrative has provided so far. Perhaps we will have a uh, reversal of expectation. We'll have a plot twist. I'm trying to think of that if you know have I written a plot twist I do enjoy a plot twist especially say things like kind of like old twilight zone episodes things like that where we think we know something and then the tables are turned and whoop you know we did not know that though the one thing to stay away from is uh Say, uh, I, I've mentioned this before, my dislike of narrators or narrative where we should know what's going on. For example, that we've had access to, because of point of view, we've had access to, it's a dragonfly. Uh, we've, we've had access to... Sorry, I'm just occidentalizing myself, attempting to get back on course. So, context. Right, the thing that annoys me about... When, when we have point of view access, but we don't find out about sort of, you know, the secret mission... Right. Well, I've got a plan, and now, and I'll now I'll tell it to you, and then we end the chapter, we end the scene, and we are not privy to 
what it is. And for me, that's a big B-O-O. That's a big, you know, I don't like it. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Up to this moment, we've had access. You know, but the narrator, the author, has decided that it's more suspenseful to cut out that chapter. Is it the publisher? We need more suspense. We need to tighten up the machine. So, you know, cut, cut that scene, cut that chapter. Switching, switching arms. Excellent exercise. Take the bus next time, boss. Context. That said, things can be out of context. There's a place for that. Uh, Speaking of point of view, having a character... Having a character that is... I'm just... Putting the phone onto... Autopilot. Airplane mode. Uh, we have our point of view. We have our point of view character or characters. Uh, but there are events, uh, there are characters who are out of our frame of focus, uh, you know, that we don't have touch, we don't have contact with. And so the out of context can be brought into uh, the story. And really, most, most, of, most of the stories, that's what it is. It's like we're meeting new characters. Usually, uh, we're encountering new settings. Usually, we're getting information via thought or dialogue that is new. However, once it does come in, uh, then it becomes part of context. It becomes part of the known. I guess that's the great divider, is the, is the known and the unknown. That we have things that are... We have, we have things that are bothersome. <laughs> we have things that are troublesome uh, in the story. Uh, the elements of the unknown. <clears throat> it's strange, too, that, say, it could be introduced, questions yet to be answered, right? Okay, well, what's going to happen? That there are these unknown factors that play a role. Uh, and again, that they're, that they're not uh, in context, that these are actually uh, outside, outside of context. Such a long walk. Now I'm just passing this lovely green field this unnatural sign of civilization is using nature and too it's, it's purely recreational really, yeah you're either playing the sport on it or you're observing the sport 
So let's uh, shift back to uh, language. One, one difficulty with writing uh, and language is foreign language, say, that you might be quite fine using uh, you know, the language that you're writing in, but then, say, bringing in the... It's almost like, say, showing the cosmopolitan, like, say... You know, I'm, that I would jump up and down and say, I'm going to, every page I will have a, a word from somewhere different in the world. And those are noble, you know, that's a noble endeavor, noble, you know, that, you know, you want to open up people to the idea, to the thinking, right, that there are, there are words beyond, uh, there's a whole language, culture, experience, uh, that exists, uh, the other, right, the other, the foreign, there's that word, the exotic, and to the, the ability to flip it around and to become the exotic, you know, and to say that, you know, to someone somewhere else, where I live, uh, how I live, my culture is exotic. And I've experienced this in a number of different ways. Meeting Europeans who, oh, it's so wonderful that you live in Vancouver. And, and then, I, you know, I equally can say the same thing about them. And, and we would both disagree. And Oh, no, no. You know, your, your lifestyle, your environment, the setting you exist in is... You know, that's the better one. I'm so bored with where I live. It's time to go colonize. Whoops. Okay, so. Uh, And to uh, languages, one thing that I'm interested in, and uh, especially, say, old... And a bit of a breeze. Uh, I like uh, obscure words, uh, dialect, you know, something from uh, Yorkshire, Yorkshire. I, I can't even pronounce it correctly. But I'm interested in, in, in too, when they fall into, you know, these are English words. They're, they've just fallen out of use, or they're just use, used in one particular area. Oh, but Moss, it's not North American English. Ah, but it's North American English. English? You know, what is English? How do we define English? So say, a 13-year-old, you know, you've, you've written for that age group, they pick up, they pick up a book... And that they they read, they pick up the book, they read, that you have got to accommodate, you have got to be thinking about uh, their vocabulary. The Canadian vocabulary is different from the American vocabulary. Uh, up north of the border, we are a bilingual country. Uh, you know that you know historically you know it there there was fighting uh, there was compromise it's political uh, and cultural and so we have uh, a sharing you know both languages exist in the public school system and there's very much a, an encouragement going on and then south of the border uh, there is a to me, it's a swap with Spanish, uh, uh, and yet there is this resistance, and there is the predomination of this predomination—is <laughs> that a word—of uh, English. And two, I'm I'm pretty sure it it's not a notion of bilingual. Uh, and yet, there is of course, there is this presence. Interesting too that they are 
to European languages. You know, but the context has shifted. You know, one has become the Mexican language. I, I, that puzzles me, interests me. Oh, neat. There's a bit of a public garden going on. So that's interesting. I have seen that actually all over Vancouver. There's these uh, public... um, So a community garden, I think, would be the better description. And so people are, you know, growing vegetables and uh, amidst the pollution and... I'm sure that it will stop the tide of mass extinction. 100%. Uh, I'm being facetious. Okay, it's a step in the right direction. There we go. So with, with the language, with the foreign language, that... Uh, too, this is something that I'm I'm wrangling right now. Uh, I've gotten some good advice about it. That the best way to do it, the clearest way, is to have the reader know everything that's going on. That they're not in the dark. That they understand people speaking the foreign language. So rather than dropping in French or Spanish or uh, whatever language instead... Just translate and, and say, they said in uh, Franco Espanol, that didn't quite work out, uh, French or Spanish. Or whatever the language is. Maybe not even saying, you know, the two guards, this is sort of a fantasy reference, the two guards uh, said, said that they, they would join the fight in their language. And then fixing it up and editing and everything. Uh, so the the pain of that it, that gets into world building. Say um, there are people who have spent time and are quite pleased with uh, a language they've built. That you know they've done the research, they've come up with something, and it's it's legit. What role does something like Tolkien's uh, elvish languages, references, snippets of poetry? We don't get the whole thing. We get tips of icebergs. That's what we get. So, you know, in that case, he doesn't give us the entirety. We don't sit there reading or not reading, rather, but just sort of, wow, he's written in, you know, uh, here's the whole poem in Elvish. But we just get this flavor. Oh, I think I've, I think I've finally, uh, uh, I think I've finally reached my destination. I hope. Uh, but it's been a, it's been a good walk, good walk and talk. So I think the last the last uh, thing to talk about connected to language is culture, and culture references things people do. It all has to make sense. It all has to communicate. Uh, We've got to see it. Even if we don't understand it, we've got to be there and we've got to know it. Otherwise, it's a wall that we're standing outside of. I was reading a bit of Jorge Luis Borges. There we go. And... Uh, that was one of the stories had that effect was that I was outside there were references to books Uh, there were some references that I just could not pick up on and 
it was slowing down the read. That was another part of it. I was thinking, this is intentional. Uh, this writer, author wants me to struggle a bit. You know, I've got to earn it. Uh, that said, like, say, there is lenience. I have lenience. But I really want to be in it. That, you know, that is my preference. When I read a story, I, I want to sink into it like a, like a piping hot bath, almost too hot, you know, scalding, right, to the point of that. But I want to have this experience. It, it, it does serve a purpose. And if, if the framework isn't there, the context, if, if I'm not being helped out, uh, if I'm feeling that I'm on the outside, at this stage of the game, I will put down the book. There's got to be a good reason for me to, to get through that. Like, say, imagine if you're reading and... There are things happening that aren't explained. Like, it looks like this, right? So to have that description going on. Rather than... Rather than having a feeling that... um, one One is on the outside of the experience. Oh, I see. Okay. So it really becomes about uh, it really becomes about a welcoming uh, creating something that's welcoming, creating something that is forgiving the reader for not knowing, uh, helping the reader, assist, assi- assisting. So you're being assisted along. So close, but so so far. But I, I sit, I sit in the chair. Actually, too, uh, it's it's more that I think I may have sort of gotten into, sort of been too good at sitting in the chair and not good enough at uh, getting out and having exercise. <clears throat> Because uh, there really does have to be that balance. So, just to finish up, there is a danger in expecting that the reader is going to understand everything. Um, especially when you're dealing with something like a, a, a format or an expectation, such as, you know, with where I was at, you know, the end of middle grade, you know, writing for tweens, and that, you know, that audience, uh, they're in a particular state of mind, they're doing particular things, they're not interested in particular things. Uh, There's a shift as well, they're changing, and uh, what is being pushed on them is changing, just thinking of the author Jean Lee and just interview and, and how she was talking about how uh, young adults, especially younger ones, are really pushed and they're being pushed and cajoled and uh, groomed, which is an unfortunate word, but that's that's what it is. It's 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 not left up to nature, and there is a corporate observance that goes on, you know, that they're sort of being, uh, there's a manipulation into a demographic. (sighs) 
Omos, but what does that have to do with me? I'm not writing tween fantasy. Uh, every group. I'm thinking of the hardest hard sci-fi uh, that exists. Even there, there's a consideration because if you're writing for a niche audience of the, you know, you have to know physics well in order to read this, then you're writing for a very, you know, not a very, you're writing for a narrow audience. And uh, not only that, say the, the, the consideration. Why? What do I mean? Do physicists want to read something like that? You know, do they want something that's purely physics? Do they want something that has, that offers more than that? So it's a bit sort of opening up, widening, and I think there is a bit of sacrificing that happens. Uh, uh, killing, uh, killing the darlings. That you know, that's what's going on. It was, it was a good feeling. Actually, I did not feel bad about the constraints. I welcomed the constraints. I, uh, this is writing for tweens. It got me thinking. It challenged me. Uh, it, 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 it gave me some gu guidance it, guidance um, and to provided limitations which on one hand sounds like a bad thing but it actually created shape so there were things that I could rely on I could just let go of and going okay well I don't have to you know I don't have to think about that just thinking of, say, romance. Uh, and two, it allowed me to sort of go, rather than romance, to be thinking of uh, just relationship, right? You know, the emotions involved in any relationship, uh, regardless of whether it involves romance. In my mind, I'm thinking... Say, say, reproductive narrative. Come on, do it. Increasing population, and it's managed to squeak by. But uh. all right, it feels like we're done. Almost, almost done. Let's see if we can hop across this street. So I actually missed my stop. I was so engrossed and I ended up walking. <laughs> I may have walked twice as much, but it's been good. It's been good and I've managed to squeeze uh, a potential episode out of it. <coughs> So, in summary, context creates framework, structure, context uh, assists the reader, helps them along. You don't have to sacrifice everything. And uh, because that's the sort of feeling a lot of the time is like, you know, how, how can I uh, keep uh, what I have? And uh, why do I have to give that up? And you don't. You just have to include something that is going to help us uh, get, get to what you want to say, to what you want to communicate. Context is carried uh, by... Uh, point of view characters, by the scenes, uh, and it grows, and it adds on, and 
we get we get depth from context. We get as we learn, it's shaping and adding angles, adding shading, uh, becoming more complex. What seemed straight up uh, a, a possible suddenly is becoming more complicated, multifaceted. And, you know, the stakes are rising. And, all, you know, all of a sudden, the certainty, especially, say, around the, the middle of the story, you know, oh, it is possible, uh, is thrown into doubt. Uh, so con- context is a powerful ally. And it, it, it really is about providing uh, information that... I, and just, just to end, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's about providing information, information that adds conflict to characters, to uh, relationship, the, the, the dynamics of a relationship. It provides conflict, even in setting in an environment that, say, the, the more we experience and see uh, a, a place that at, at first, it's like, oh, it's just a place on a map, that, say, we might pick up bits and pieces of mythology, we may pick up legends, lore, word of mouth uh, that, again, complicate and uh, give us conflict, conflict, conflict. Thank you for listening. And here's to adding uh, more context.